Not much happened over the weekend. Sort of a quiet time in the news and history. Not a lot going on, but if there's something that occurs to you, because it's so hard to find anything to talk about this morning, but if something occurs to you, if there's some nugget of curiosity that you possess that might help us fill the time in this history-free moment of history, please feel free to text us, 971-220-5979, 971-220-5979. I want to say thanks to our sponsors. I want to say thanks to Moralink. Ink on anything, mail anywhere. And with that, why don't we get ready for the show? And now it's time for News with My Dad. I'm sure we're talking about the news with my dad. The non-telephone live playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I am feeling excited because I think tonight I am, for the first time in over two years, going to have somebody living next door. <laughs> We've... Uh... It has been. We have been engaging in this move. We did move a bunch of stuff yesterday, and uh, and it looks like tonight will be the night that we do sleep next door. Uh, and Katie and I have been working on that for a while. I've been working on that for a while. Others have been working on that for a while as well. It has been a pride-swallowing siege. COVID certainly didn't speed it up, uh, and there's still some things to do. But, yeah, we're... We we've we've we're, we're making the move. We're making the move. Well, Dad, there has and been this, and and this this we I don't forget reminds me is right. really important. And I, I remind you, and then I want to remind all our listeners: make sure you and Katie get your registration changed. If uh, folks, if you are not if you're in Oregon and you're not registered to vote right now, you have until next Tuesday. That's a week from tomorrow to register, and. If you have moved, you need to get do that. And if you have had to evacuate because of the fires, or if you know anybody who has evacu- had to evacuate because of the fires, you can still vote. They can still vote at their address, but they have to contact the registrar. And they can do that either by going to OregonVotes.gov, or call your local county election office. But again, you need to do that to be sure no later than a week from tomorrow so you don't lose the right to vote simply because right this minute you don't have a home existing to receive your ballot. Well, Dad, there was something that happened over this weekend. that They managed to pull it off. They managed to do the entire episode of this season of craziness in the U.S. presidency. They really are, but... Uh, in between... Uh, uh, wait a minute, wait, I just need to know... I, I don't want you to sidestep my shout-outs, because I got some. First, I want a shout-out for the Rogue Food United. and Adam Danforth and his friends, some folks in southern Oregon, especially in Jackson County, who have recognized the huge problem that over because two, over 2,000 homes have simply been eliminated, they are providing 2,500 meals per day to folks who have been rendered houseless because of the fire. Really compliment that organization. I want to shout out for the women of the WNBA. They, Women's Basketball Association, 
who are now sporting jerseys that say, Vote Warnock. And the story on that is is that the owner of the Dream, which is a Georgia team, happens to be senator from Georgia. They have decided never to mention her name, so I will not mention her name, because of her scurrilous stuff towards LBGT people and towards Black Lives Matter, and Warnock is her opponent. Real leadership, and while we're talking about leadership, I want to compliment the vote program of the NBA, Mo Bamba, LeBron James, C.J. McCollum, et al., are doing a major effort to get people to vote, starting with the NBA players. Four years ago, only 22% of the players in the NBA voted. Well, they already have now 85% registered. 11 teams are 100% registered. And they're joined with NFL player Patrick Mahomes, who, by the way, tested positive for the COVID, and Allison Felix, an Olympic sprinter, more than a vote, they call it, and they are going really, really big to get people to vote. I just think that's kind of leadership that we should be very pleased to have. Well, Dad, the big story over the weekend, of course, is that President Trump announced on Thursday, he did not have the courtesy to do it prior to our show, that he and First Lady Melania Trump have tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, of course, this has been, for anybody who gets glued to cable news over the weekend, anybody who gets their eyes and their fingers uh, attached to Twitter, this has been the dominant story over the weekend, and people have had their eyes glued and their fingers tapping on their social media device of choice. Uh, Pop, what was your reaction when you first heard the news? Did you, as some did, doubt it? Because they assume not only does this president have such a credibility problem, but that it might be the kind of thing that would change the subject after a 14-point poll disadvantage after the debate. Did you know that he had a 14 a national poll, Wall Street Journal, I think it was. I'll look it up to make sure. Yeah, had him yeah, down there, 14. There was, there, was, there was about a four-to-six-point four four six move after the debates, which uh, we can never know if it was because of the debates, but it's uh, most likely. But no, I did not for a moment doubt it because I, I just, because the, the underlining of his hypocrisy and his foolishness is so so stark by this, but what I did have real doubts was that they whether or not they were telling the truth about when they discovered and when they did not know that he had it because they've been claiming that he gets tests every day, and one of the things we don't know is when is the last time he was actually tested before the test that showed up positive. I don't believe for a moment that it was the day before. I'm guessing it was several days before. And the reason that is significant is because the likelihood of his already having contracted it but not yet having any symptoms on the night of the debate last Tuesday, very, very, very high. 
the likelihood of his having it when he was going to rallies with no mask and, in fact, making fun of Joe Biden for wearing a mask very, very high. And the 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 ability, the slime of this administration, how it reaches out to everybody, has now reached out to the doctor, Dr. Sean Connery, who has just been disgraceful in what, not just what he has said, but what he has not said and what he has refused to say about it. Trump did not get tested the night of the debate. He arrived too late, refused to get tested, and so that has fueled speculation that he did, in fact, know that he had COVID-19, wasn't symptomatic, felt fine, but didn't want to alarm the country, didn't want to alarm his supporters, didn't want to have to bow out of the debate, or didn't want to have to say in the middle of the debate, yeah, I guess I got it, I haven't been careful enough. Uh, Dad, of course, there has been also a stir about to what degree people should feel compassion for a president who has yet to demonstrate any meaningful compassion for the over 200,000 Americans and over a million global humans who have died due to COVID-19. Of course, where I land is I wish ill health on essentially no one. And also, but even more than that, I don't want him spreading the disease to anybody else. What do you think is the what a proper emotional set point, the proper emotional reaction of people who want to protect democracy, who are concerned that a wave of, of compassion for the president could help make people forget about what we were just talking about just a few days ago. Uh, what do you think, what do you think is appropriate reaction? What are reactions you've seen that you've appreciated or maybe what are those you've seen that have made you nervous? Well, the uh, the response across the political spectrum, of course, is is really something, and, and that that's the, that's the thing I'm most intrigued by is how this is going to be measured, particularly if he is not sent back to the White House today, as they were saying maybe he could be, which I think the the fact of the medications that is now being admitted that he is receiving suggests that he is not going to be declared healthy today that if if he gets really sick what effect is that going to have upon folks who have continued to insist that the virus was a hoax uh, i got second cousins in wyoming who are just convinced it's all a hoax that insist that the death count is is inflated by an order of magnitude just uh, I, I am going to be watching with interest and I'm going to be staying home I do have a thought about this one it is a reminder and I will cite Hannah Arendt and the origins of totalitarianism and I will also cite Adolf Hitler and not to make a direct comparison between the uh, head of the German state in the run up to World War II and the current president of the United States, but merely because the lesson is useful, I think. And when uh, what became clear through that was that facts were not to get in the way of a perceived truth, that, that, the, that there was not a given fact. Learning that Hitler lied when his supporters learned that he lied, it did not dissuade their support for him because they just realized he was putting one over on their enemy. 
that the first principle was not a particular fact. The first principle was not what we would call a particular truth. Their first principle was identification with the mass movement, identification with the fascist state, mass uh, identification with, in fact, that leader. That there isn't. I, I think for people who think about truth differently, who are not a member of the MAGA crew, who are not Trump Confederates, you have, we have to consider differently how to interact with it. The presence of a contrary fact doesn't matter in an important way. It matters deeply to what happens in truth. It matters deeply to what happens in democracy. I think it does matter to what happens with an electorate. But to a person who is the member of a movement with that kind of pull, a move that is connected to that degree of cult of personality, that degree of you know, a friend and smart supporter of X-ray, I said, well, the best way to understand it, he didn't offer it as a, as a critique even. He was just saying, well, the best way to understand uh, the modern uh, sort of what I describe as the red wall is is as a cult and and finding a certain fact is not going to change people's minds any more than when Branch Davidian learned that the God wasn't coming on a particular day. They just oh well, I guess that's because it's come, God is going to come on a different day. And we must have misread the signs that there isn't a fact that will change the mind that ultimately we're going to have to do in my judgment is either just, I want to go further than just win elections, although I think that's a big part of it, is I think it's going to require a shifting of how we define our movements, a communication with people at a human level that starts connecting people to some shared values. And until people can connect their self-identity and their group identity with something beyond the current Republican Party and current Donald Trump, no amount of fact, I think, is really going to divert that. I say no amount. Yeah, I, it is still, I don't want to discount what you said, Pop. If the president if the president did suffer from deep ill health, that would, I think, change uh, the minds of some with respect to COVID. I do fear, in fact, you asked me this off the air. You asked me, well, what do you think is going to happen or what do you think sh- you know, should happen going forward? And what I said, what I fear is that the only thing that will convince a bunch of people, including my cousins, the, a, a number of my cousins, that this thing is actually worth paying attention to, that 200,000, 210,000 people who've died from it really matters, confirmed, uh, it, that really matters, we should do everything we can to avoid more deaths. I do worry that one of those people who's in that Rose Garden party, the only thing that may convince them is that one of them gets catastrophically ill, which of course I'm not rooting for. Uh, Dad, anything else? We don't have to spend I, the whole... I have, I have an interesting question. Yeah. It's not a question that I expect you to answer. It is a question, though, that that, that intrigues me. We know he he did that ridiculous stunt yesterday. I can only compare the stunt yesterday to the Bible stunt that he pulled walking across uh, the street to stand in front of the church holding the Bible, which everybody knows about. But the stunt of getting in a big SUV surrounded by Secret Service men, at least three of them in the vehicle, and there may have been five of them in the vehicle, and other vehicles following to drive around the hospital so that he could wave at the supporters. And, of course, what he was doing was feeding his ego because he is so desperately in need of constant reassurance for his ego. But suppose that one of those 
Secret Service men who were in the vehicle with him, who were forced to be within a couple of feet in the ultimate enclosed space, virtually a hermetically sealed vehicle, not only got sick with the virus, but died. What are the possibility that there is a legitimate charge of homicide by by reckless indifference for what he did? Extraordinarily unlikely, and significant part because the attorney general works for him, and I did not. Well, say the attorney, but the, 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 this attorney general, but we wouldn't know that until sometime. We would, it would probably take a few weeks for that to happen. We might have a new attorney general, plus the fact that it happens inside the District of Columbia. The District of Columbia does have the ability, not as not as part of the DOJ, but as part of the Home Rule benefits that were given to the District of Columbia to charge people with crimes. The president has received treatment, including supplemental oxygen, experimental antibody cocktails, vitamins, and dexamethasone. Dexamethasone is a corticosteroid, which the World Health Organization advised be used only for patients with severe symptoms. Uh, as of Sunday, President Trump's condition has improved. Dr. Garibaldi at Walter Reed said he's up and about, and if things continue this way, he may be released as early as Monday or Tuesday. It appears the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to open to the open Supreme Court justice seat could have been a spreader event. Several attendees of that ceremony have tested positive, including Kellyanne Conway, Chris Christie, and Hope Hicks. The and three senators. And we also know that the uh, that that at that event. Not only were they not wearing masks uh, closely together, but it was to kick off the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Now there are a couple of senators on the Judiciary Committee who are sick. Uh, we will be watching. I won't ask for a prediction. We'll be watching to see if that interrupts or changes the timeline of the uh, of the confirmation uh, of the, the predicted. Well, well you have two of them. You have Tillis and Lee, both of whom are on the Judiciary Committee. And if my count is correct... And, and if my understanding of the rules are correct, I understand that that the chair of the Judiciary Committee can allow senators to participate in questioning during a hearing of the nominee by Zoom, but they have to actually be present in the room to vote. And if I am correct in that, and I am also correct in my numerical count of the committee, two Republican senators being absent and all Democratic senators being present means that they will not have the votes to pass the nomination to the floor. Even as Republican senators continue to test positive the coronavirus, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, Republican Leader, does say he will push Judge Barrett's confirmation forward before the election. Uh, there have been three confirmed cases, as you mentioned, two of the uh, two on the Judiciary Committee. Senate's return is now postponed for two weeks. However, however, the four days of confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett will still take place on October 12th. Here is Mitch McConnell's quote. The Senate's floor schedule will not interrupt the thorough, fair and historically supported confirmation process previously laid out. Chuck Schumer, minority leader, Democratic leader, thinks hearings should be delayed. As long as Senate sessions are postponed, Schumer said in his statement, monomaniacal drive to confirm Judge Baird at all costs needlessly threatens the health and safety of Senator staff and all those who work in the Capitol complex. 
Well, but we'll, of course, continue to watch this. A couple facts that have changed. Uh, initially, the uh, president's counsel came out and said, president's uh, medical doctor came out and said that he had mild symptoms. And, of course, the release of information was he was being administered, admitted, admitted to Walter Reed as an, uh, out of an abundance of caution. What we know now is that his oxygen levels dipped below 94%, that there were significant concerns with his vital signs when he was released. So, yeah, at this point, we can't rely on, uh, we can't rely on, I think, facts coming from the White House. And I, and, and I would go further. I don't think it's merely the president's own ego. Uh, it is his desire to demonstrate strength because strength is his desired brand. And also what he would say, if one wanted to apologize for the president, if to look strong in the eyes of the world, you don't want your leader being incapacitated. You don't want uncertainty about who, in fact, is the president. There will be, I suspect, proof of life. The thing I'll flag that we haven't mentioned yet is that one challenge is doing these proof of life videos, a little drive around every day. The, the concerning thing will come if there is a day he doesn't do them. I assume he is going to be fine. I assume he's going to be fine because he's, you know, over 70. He's not over 80 because he doesn't have, although he is, you know, not in the best of physical conditions, he doesn't seem to have particularly strong comorbidities and he's getting, he's getting the best care literally in the world. And what we know is that COVID-19 is a deeply dangerous, uh, deeply dangerous illness particularly if it interacts with something else. If, it, if your inability to breathe, as people have described it, you know, after the first few days, it can make you feel like you're breathing peanut butter. If that makes it hard, if you have a hard time dealing with a situation where you have a difficulty breathing. But if you're there with ventilator ready, if you're there with people who can suck out your, your uh, digestive tract and, and, and your breathing tract regularly, if you're there with all of the best drug cocktails, then, you know, my assumption is is going to be fine. I do have a concern about the information the American people will receive and how we'll be able to learn from this, given that we can't trust all that information. Uh, but I do have those concerns. Dad, anything else on the COVID stuff before we take a break? I, I, I need to comment on something that I had that kind of a deja vu as I watched the video of his driving around. And by the way, I need to correct, I need to correct my geography Walter Reed is in Bethesda. Bethesda is in Maryland, and Maryland has an absolute right to charge people with homicide. So that's, you don't need to correct me if you want to text in on that. I'm, I'm aware. I'm correcting myself. But the other thing, I had a real remember. I have a real remembrance seeing his driving by of watching the Rajneesh, the guru that established the commune in Oregon years ago when your your older brother and I went to visit the, the that place it was really quite a remarkable place and we watched the daily ritual of the Rajneesh driving in his Rolls Royce around and receiving the plaudits and the obeisance and the cheers of his followers, and it's uh, kind of spooky. Some COVID stuff probably should could just quickly mention. Uh, De Blasio, mayor of New York, is saying that he may have to shut down at least nine 
districts of the city because of resurgence. The, the only three states in the country that have showed a reduction in cases in the last week are Texas, South Carolina, and Missouri. 21 states, it's up. The rest, it is holding steady. Hospitalizations are up. The uh, and there's a Washington Post study that shows that this this pandemic has had the is, is the most unequal ever in history, and Hispanics are being hurt the worst, both the both the ethnic inequality and economic inequality. It is just huge. The Associated Press did come out with an article explaining just what happens if a presidential nominee dies. Uh, I think that is at least something that people have been curious about. Uh, again, it's not what it's not only what nobody hopes for; it's also what nobody is in. I shouldn't say. I mean, I suppose anybody hopes for any number of things, but it's also what nobody is certainly what not what we are predicting or hoping. But the but it's a relevant topic. Uh, Trump is considered high risk due to his age and weight. He's clinically obese, and if and if you think that he is fudging on his weight to the south side. He is morbidly obese. He's, his age is 74. People in his age range face a five times greater risk of hospitalization. People in his weight range face three times greater risk of hospitalization. In their article, the AP points out that a president dies. The vice president has the constitutional duty to assume power. We know that already. However, if it's prior to the election, the Electoral College will likely have to agree on a replacement candidate. If it happens before their ballots made, the Republican National Committee gets to choose a candidate. But that policy is joined with several complications, particularly if the group cannot agree. Additionally, the 12th Amendment of the Constitution states that Congress ultimately has the final say on who becomes president because they can reject slates of electors. And the House and the Senate need to agree to their rejections, though. Why don't we do some election news? What we know, we mentioned that Joe Biden was up in a national poll by 14 points. Real clear politics is showing his polling average in top battleground states just over 4%, his national average at just over 8 points. At polling rundown around swing states, battleground states, and U.S. Senate races. What we know is that Gideon is up in Maine by 6.5 points. Peters is up in Michigan by 3.8 points. Greenfield over Jody Ernst in Iowa by five points. Montana, former Governor Montana, the Democrat, is losing to the Republican by 1.6 points. Uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona up six. Texas, Cornyn does not look right now in danger. Uh, uh, Purdue up in Georgia by 2.8 points. And that I do need to mention Cal Cunningham up six points in North Carolina. But that polling information prior to him sending uh, romantic oh, texts yeah. to, to an aide. But to be clear, it, it doesn't appear it went further than romantic texts. When you compare those texts with the occupant of the White House, it feels sort of quaint. But it still might matter in a state that has not had a track record of electing a bunch of Democrats since, you know, I don't know, the the big flip after the signing of the Civil Rights Act. We should mention that there is going to be a debate tomorrow night in, at uh, my old school, the University of Utah. Yeah, what are you looking forward to at the debate? Well, I am expecting Pence to come across as condescending. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it will be interesting to see what I what I am hoping is that uh, Kamala Harris will smile a lot and chuckle a lot and outright laugh a lot and thereby really underline the condescension that that he exudes almost all of the time the it will be interesting to see how they deal with discussing the fact of the president being in the hospital because I'm I am confident that he's going to still be in the hospital tomorrow night I, I just can't imagine of course I say that I suppose that he is the president as he insisted regardless of how he felt and regardless of his condition that he was going to be returned to the White House tomorrow I guess they would have to return him uh, but uh, we'll see something that does occur to me is that this is a vice, and it didn't just occur to me. I mean, Katie brought it up first uh, in our household, but the something that, that does occur to us is that how impactful this vice presidential debate can feel to so many people, both because we've never had two presidential candidates that are both, you know, over the age of 73. Uh, we've never had that happening at a time when one of those uh, candidates is in fact in the hospital sick. We've never had one of those when one of those candidates has in fact already been impeached and is under charges from a U.S. attorney and state attorney's office, or I should say state attorney's office. Dad, the if, can you think of a bi- vice presidential debate that is felt as consequential as this one when people can literally imagine either of these people being president if not five years from now, even sooner than that, being likely nominees sooner rather than later, or maybe even the occupant of the White House sooner rather than later? Well, I, I will confess to thinking that this may well be the first, the first vice presidential debate that was consequential. Because <laughs> I, 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 I can't think of another vice presidential debate that really influenced the outcome of the election at all. And that maybe, that I think a whole lot of people didn't even pay attention to, but this one, you're right, we very seriously could be auditioning tomorrow night the next president of the United States, uh, or the, not the next one, but the next after the next. The next, next one, yeah. And that next after the next could certainly and not not terribly unlikely occur before 2024. Yeah. One debate that seemed consequential to me was one vice presidential debate that seemed consequential to me was when John Edwards debated Dick Cheney and they did it in a seated position. And John Edwards was well known as a successful trial lawyer, went in with uh, with big expectations. Dick Cheney went in with smaller expectations uh, and it came, and I think it resolved a couple of things. First of all, it didn't give any bump to Kerry. And second of all, for those who wondered whether George W. Bush was suitable to be president, people say, well, we got this Dick Cheney guy, maybe he'll be helping to run things. I do think that vice presidential debate mattered, but it's hard to say because we don't have a chance to run a simulation in a computer had that debate gone differently. Joe Biden, dad, claims he told some governors not to endorse him because Trump might retaliate by withholding funds for coronavirus relief. Did you catch that story? No, I missed that. 
Yeah, he made this statement during a virtual town hall on Saturday. He said, I probably shouldn't say this. I told some governors, don't endorse me because you'll pay a penalty. Despite the warnings, Democratic governors have still endorsed him. Even a handful of former Republican governors have as well. Trump said during a press conference on Saturday that coronavirus case counts are very low if you take out the blue states. That is not an accurate thing. Although if you do take out a big piece of the country, yes, that takes out a big piece of the coronavirus cases. But here's a, here's a stat I care about. I'm interjecting into this own story. Is it if we this is the one that uh, if we had the same rate of coronavirus illness and death as Germany, we'd have 150,000 fewer people die. Okay, so we did as well as Germany. We would have saved 150,000 people. And I will say for those who believe an eye for the eye, an eye for an eye, I can understand why there have been those who have not had as much compassion about the president's illness as I shared on. I don't know if it's compassion. I did wish him a speedy recovery as I posted on Facebook. Trump told reporters, Go ahead. Trump told reporters if it's COVID related, I guess we can talk about aid. But we certainly want certain things also, including sanctuary city adjustments. That's what he had to say in April about withholding funding from states he didn't agree with on immigration policy. The president is not publicly threatened to withhold COVID aid, to be clear. Dad, you think Joe Biden was making it up, or do you think that was a, do you think that's a legitimate concern that, uh, that Trump would retaliate? Both. <laughs> Both. Okay. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, anything else well, on election news? Excuse me. While we're talking about elections, got to mention the hugely, hugely scurrilous order by the governor of Texas and the secretary of state of Texas telling counties that they could only have one ballot drop box per county. So in Houston, for example, it's the city of Houston, which is surrounded by a county with over 4 million people in the county, one drop box instead of 12. 12 sounds like a very, very small number for that uh, with a geographically bigger than Rhode Island. But and saying, oh, well, this is for voter security, and of course it is for voter security. The security of minimizing the ability of people, particularly of lower economic and who are more likely to be black or brown, to be able to drop off their ballot. Absolutely, absolutely disgraceful. Well, Dad... Any yeah any other election news for you? Yeah, I I think that we really should mention the two guys who put out the robocalls, not just to Michigan, but but where it's been charged, they've they've been charged with a crime in Michigan, telling people that putting a robocall on with a woman with a very nice voice, saying that she's saying that she's part of a progressive organization, warning people that if they vote by mail. That will information will go to bill collectors, will go to police, and will go to the CDC to to enable them to be ordered to take a vaccine. And uh, not just in Michigan, but also in Chicago and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, New York. The uh, and of course the guy saying, "Oh no, we're innocent," but. 
I think that they they are not innocent. It will be interesting to see whether or not they waive extradition or will fight being extradited because one of them, I guess, lives in the District of Columbia and the other lives in, in California. But I think that that is election news that is worth mentioning. And there's also some local election news that is worth mentioning. The Oregonian yesterday endorsed in the city races, they endorsed Ted Wheeler and they endorsed Mingus Mapp and Amanda Fritz, who is retiring from the city council, has endorsed Ted. And Joanne Hardesty, who previously had endorsed Ted, has withdrawn her endorsement and says she is going to remain neutral in that. But uh, it, it, it is very interesting that Sarah Yadaron has said that if she is elected mayor, if Ted, if she beats Ted, that uh, Commissioner Hardesty is going to become the police commissioner. So all that's worth keeping one eye on. Well, Dad, there are, uh, I should ask this. I should ask this question. It goes backwards a little bit, but I should ask this question. There have been two pieces of punditry that I have heard. One, presidents who get sick yield a big degree of patriotism and they see a boost in their support. Another is, yeah, but this reminds everybody that Donald Trump didn't take this thing seriously and we've had 210,000 people die rather than a projected 50 or 60,000 people die if we had had the same kind of results as similarly wealthy countries uh, such as Germany. Where do you think it cuts? Do you think it's a push? Do you think it's on net a political benefit for the president because it changes the subject off his taxes after after his family going after him after him after his family getting uh, getting investigated for tax fraud, etc. Do you think it helps because of sympathy or do you think it hurts him on net because it's a reminder what a failure of leadership he's exhibited during COVID-19? Well, to respond to that question, you first we first have to acknowledge that one of the most accurate statements, one of the, the rare really accurate statements that DDT made during the 2016 campaign was when he stead, said, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and it wouldn't affect my base. That's a fact that we have to start with. So there is, I think, at least 30, maybe 33, 34, 35 percent folks who maybe, maybe if he was seen coming out of a motel with an eight-year-old child who has clearly just been been sexually attacked, that that maybe might affect them, but it would take something something that drastic to have any effect on those people. And then you have the next group of people who are going to rationalize saying, yes, he he didn't do a good job, etc., but anybody with a D rather than an R in their political identification is just so in favor of socialism and communism and pornography and child abuse, etc., that we, we can't just possibly vote for them. And some of them might not vote at all. That, so that, that, and that would be a few percent. 
but I, but I, where does it land? Where does it land for you? Exactly. Where did it land? I I think that I think that if he maintained really sick, that it could come down a whole lot to how folks felt about who about Pence and, and Harris. We did get a Especially text in. Uh, Kamala likes to go into attack mode. Pence is shrewd and smart. I bet he'll successfully bait her into looking bad. That was what Albert had to say. That I want to talk a little bit about state legislative races here in Oregon. I don't know how closely you've been following those. Statesman Journal has an interesting article that came out yesterday that supermajority control of the legislature coming down to several tight races. A handful of tight races around the state will decide whether Democrats in the legislature will keep or even expand their supermajority control of both chambers. By supermajority, what I mean by that in particular are two things. One, if they have three-fifths, that means that Democrats can pass revenue increases. And that's a big deal when we might be, well, we might be, we are in the midst of a recession and might be facing one that's worth it's worse. The other one, the other one that is really, in in my view, even bigger than that, is whether or not they might have the, a a constitutional quorum, so that the Republicans could not simply shut things down by going away. Democrats looking to expand power would need to net two seats in both the House and the Senate. Right now, they're both their three fifths to get to their to get to that two thirds. They'd need to have an unprecedented majority. There's, that hadn't happened. I, I'm, I'm going to look real quick to see if it's ever happened. Oh, yeah. The, back, back, the back Republican the day, Party in back, 1996. Back in the, day the Republicans had. Yeah, 1996. Had they had 20 Oregon House seats. Uh, they had, they had, but never in Oregon's history has one party held 40 seats in the House. I have the answer right here. So some of those, some of those seats, you can describe generally, Pop, and I'll then, so we can have a little back and forth. You can describe generally, I bet you can guess where some of those swing districts, some of those swing sw- seats might be. Where would you where would you look if you're looking for those swing districts to determine who's going to be running? Well, I, I would say. I would I think I'd start at Hood River. Interesting. Okay. And uh, where would I go next? I, I I confess that I have not been been paying close sufficiently close. We've got to, we've got to do it. We got 30 days before the election, yeah, it's, roughly. It's time we did, and you have been paying attention. Not as Go much as it. not as much as I used to. Not as much as I used to. So so it's because we've been focusing so much on city stuff and national stuff. We've got to focus on the legislature as well. One of the challenges with following the legislature is legislators, individuals, legislators aren't as famous, and there isn't as much of a press corps in Salem as there used to. So we've got to be some of that press corps. We've got to help because if you want to have an impact on policy making, uh, let's give it for instance. Right now, there is significant debate over campaign finance reform in Portland. The mayor has been uh, cited a number of times. But right now, it took the state legislature to address the Constitution, refer something out to the voters to ensure that cities can even do that. Similarly, right now, lots of attention. These are things I'm working on uh, as a matter of disclosure on police accountability. Joanne Hardesty put forth and the city council referred to the voters the uh, the initiative for a new police review system. And that, too, will need enabling legislation and need disabling legislation, things to get out of the way to uh, to make that have the teeth that it is intended. Legislature matters a ton. 
when we're talking about school budgets and school rules, it it is the thing that matters in the state more than vastly more. I mean, the school board gets to make decisions, but they don't get to make the funding decisions. That stuff happens in the state legislature, so it's critically important. We've got to get into it. But here's some of the stuff. So recognize that typically, if you want to think about it really simply, there are about 20 seats in the state. And this is before the la- this is before the 2010 census. Okay, this is before the 20. More importantly than the census, the redistricting that ha- redistricting that happened just after that. The Chris Garrett, who is now a who is rewarded uh, with a judge seat, he's now a Supreme Court justice in Oregon. That he managed that redistricting for Democrats uh, when he was a member of the House. He was a colleague of mine and a friend. And. But prior to that, it was pretty it was just sort of conventional it was, OK, there are 20 seats that are locked in Democratic seats. And those tend to be the Portland seats, a couple of Eugene seats, an Ashland seat, potentially uh, the uh, uh, and, and those are the seats that were just firmly. And, you know, sometimes it'd be like the northern coast leaned pretty firmly, pretty firmly Democrat. And then the rural seats that uh, like Klamath Falls, a classic example, Gold Beach is a classic example uh, Pendleton and Umatilla County, uh, not as firmly, not as firmly Republican as one might think, perhaps, but still firmly Republican. That those are just okay. Lock in another twenty seats for Republicans, and then in the suburbs, in particular, also you know, at suburbs not only of Portland but also suburbs of Eugene, Salem itself, and the Salem surrounding area, most of the coast. Uh, yes, Southern Oregon, particularly in the Senate, because basically you'd have like an Ashland Democratic seat and then the other Southern Oregon House seat, because it takes two House seats to make up a, a Senate seat in Oregon. The other Southern Oregon uh, House seat would lean Republican. You put them together and that creates a swing district state Senate seat. Uh, and then Central Oregon and Central Oregon has been the one that hasn't quite been swing. I mean, it's been swing, but hasn't quite been a. It hasn't quite gone back and forth. It has stayed pretty much a Republican, not only Senate seat, but even Bend. If you make Bend a circle, well, Bend itself actually does lean, uh, has more registered Democrats than Republicans. So now, so that's a quick geographic run through. So now to get more specific, uh, Senate District 5, that is Democratic Senator Arnie Roblin uh, representing. He is not running for reelection. That is a big deal. That is in the central coast, uh, central and southern coast a little bit. Uh, Arnie Roblin, who was the uh, co-speaker when there was a shared power arrangement in the House, had a lot of local support. He was a principal of a local school. Him not running for re-election means that somebody else could win that seat. That puts a race in play. A Republican could win that seat. A Republican hasn't held a seat since 2004. Democrats do have a higher percentage of voters. But it is a more rural area than most places represented by Democrats and has a higher Fox News viewership. Republicans are also targeting House District 9, it also in the same region of the state. Caddy McCown is the current Democratic representative. It's the one seat on the ballot this year where a Democrat represents a district with more registered Republicans. So they are targeting, uh, targeting that seat. Uh, also, sure enough, Bend is viewed as one of them. Uh, Senator for Bend, Tim Canope, is a uh, is looking pretty strong, but does have a higher percentage of Democrats in that district. Sherry Helt, House District 54 in Bend, represents a district where uh, about 38. Oh, I'll give the real number. 
37.8% of registered voters are Democrat and 22.5% are Republican. Now that's, now recognize, first of all, it looks like a big Democratic lead, but also notice that's only 60% of voters. That means a huge, huge number of either small parties or much more Unaffiliated. Yeah, 32% non-affiliated. So there's still more Democrats and non-affiliated voters. But recognize, when you hear non-affiliated voter, that doesn't necessarily mean swing voter. Uh, the vast bulk of non-affiliated voters still end up having relatively predictable voting habits. They just don't identify themselves as a member of a particular party. And sometimes it's not because they're in the middle of something, but it's something because they're maybe sort of the edge of something. So Senate District 54. Those are some of the races to be uh, to be watchful of. And Dad, as you said, yeah, the thing that if if by some fluke and it would take a probably a wave election nationally and really strong local elections, really strong uh, House and Senate efforts statewide, that the uh, uh, that if that could happen, yeah, if you got a 40, 40 Democrats in the House and twenty Democrats in the Senate then they would have a quorum, and that means that the walkouts that we saw in the Senate wouldn't keep Democrats from being able to enact legislation. That very thing, I think, could motivate some voters, could motivate some donors, could motivate some activists to care about that because there are a lot of people. I mean, we saw this. We saw the wildfires. One of the things that died in the Senate walkout was, in fact, the bill that included forest management money that might have, in fact, helped ameliorate some of those fires. So that very fact could give some motivation, but, of course, that motivation will be split with the people who want, to hap- want it to happen and the people who desperately do not want it to happen, including, you know, the banking lobbyists, et cetera, who are still, and timber lobbyists, who are still a, a big piece of the uh, Republican coalition, of course, here in Oregon. Well, that, uh, you got anything well, else well, on, well, anything well, else on election about, news? Well, we're talking about state election news. I think it's worth mentioning that Peter DeFazio has uh, apparently has a real race, which and he has it because of money. The Republicans are pouring something like three million dollars into the race there because they have this guy whose whose sole claim to fame was doing a very heroic rescue that he got a lot of attention for. But he's a, a big DDT apologist, so that's that's uh, something for for us to keep our eye on. Yeah, there's another one we should cover. Uh, he's running against Alex Scarlatos, who's a no, former National Guardsman from Roseburg who helped stop a terrorist attack on a European train back in 2015. And he's raised, yeah, millions of dollars. Uh, and there are Republicans that are hoping that he could give them a chance to beat longtime incumbent uh, longtime incumbent Peter DeFazio. Peter DeFazio was in the, the Cook Report that prognosticates races, viewed that race as a likely Democratic race, and they just uh, mitigated, just, just softened it to a leans Democrat, which still, you know, of course, shows that DeFazio is more, than, more likely to win than lo- lose. But that is the closest congressional race in Oregon, Jeff Merkley, of course, running statewide, running against Joe Ray Perkins. QAnon might be concerning. Uh, Joe Ray Perkins is a QAnon follower, but QAnon is not something that at least has majority of support and, in and Oregon. By, by the way, while we're talking, while you're mentioning QAnon, something I, I do have to make people aware of: there was a there was a vote in the House last week, the House of Representatives, on a resolution condemning QAnon. 
and as as one would have hoped and really expected, it was there was an overwhelming majority for it. But there were seventeen Republicans who voted against it. Now, it spurred the vote was in part because uh, Tom Molinowski, who was a member of the House, was uh, had was the victim of a, a completely dishonest National Republican Party ad saying that he put sex offenders over family, QAnon, and, and he began getting death threats from QAnon after that. But the, there were 17 Republicans who voted against condemning QAnon. And there, Jody Arrington, Michael Burgess, Bill Flores, and Brian Babbitt of Texas, Rob Bishop of Utah, Mo Brooks of Alabama, Buddy Carter and Drew Ferguson of Georgia, Warren Davidson of Ohio, Jeff Duncan and Ralph Norman, Norman of South Carolina, Paul Gosar of Arizona, Mike Kelly and Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin, Daniel Webster of Florida, and Steve King of, of Iowa. And it scares me, it scares me that there would be that many, that many members of the House of Representatives who would not be willing to distance themselves from QAnon. Well, in about 10 minutes, we are going to be interviewing Rima Gondor, who is a candidate right now uh, for the Multnomah County judge seat. The other candidate is Adrian Brown, who we'll be interviewing tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that interview. I also want to say that there's at least one topic I need to ask you about. I might want to ask you about Wapato, but I at least want to ask you about the... Uh, down power lines and Pacific Power. Yeah, and whether or not they could be held liable. And just, just what, what, what legitimately is the liability for a company that that provides a service and, and put, puts up power lines? And, and the argument, of course, for folks who say they ought to be held liable is they should have shut off the power. Yep. But it's kind of a big deal to shut off the power because if you shut off the power, what liability might they incur for people dying because they didn't have electric electric run services that kept them alive. So it's a, it's a thorny one. It's a really interesting question. It makes me long for law school days because it is, a, it is if it, and if it were just an academic question, I would prefer it. <laughs> this one actually has real life consequences and their conduct or lack of conduct had real life consequences. Last year, PG&E, not to be confused with PGE, declared bankruptcy after being forced to pay out $30 billion in liabilities related to the fires in California uh, previous to last year. And yeah, as you mentioned, there were other power companies did, Dad, shut off the power, but Pacific Power did not. And now you have multiple witnesses who say that they saw the down power line sparking the fires. And there were all this, there was all this talk about, oh, Antifa started the fire, all these people getting arrested, all these, all these tipsters saying, oh, I, I know an arsonist, that's the arsonist. Well, now we've got witnesses saying it wasn't, it wasn't some Antifa thing, it wasn't some serial ar- set of serial arsonists or a coalition of arsonists, but in fact the Sandy Am fire was caused by a downed power line that fell on a cyclone fence. Pacific Power refused to say whether or not it was their power line, but the owner of the school that the fence surrounded said their power was provided by, guess whom, Pacific Power. Dad, the uh, uh, something else, we've got to pour one out. Uh, maybe, maybe we don't have to pour one out. 
you and I, how many times do you think you and I have talked about Wapato Jail in the past seven years? You just stole what was going to be my Thursday shout-out. I was going to shout-out Thursday for Jordan Schnitzer, who, by golly, has actually made a success of the Wapato Jail. Well, we don't know if it's a success yet. It just opened. Well, but it's going to open up anyway, okay. and it's going to be a homeless shelter. And this was, I mean, I'll tell you, this was a major issue in the city council race between Loretta Smith and Joanne Hardesty. Joanne Hardesty blasted Loretta Smith for supporting uh, supporting Wapato being used as a homeless shelter. The arguments in favor were, hey, it's a building, and it's a building that could be used and it's already built, and we shouldn't waste it. The arguments against was, yeah, but it's pretty far away from services. And and the underlying argument that I think dominated too much of the overlying argument was, well, it, does it feel weird to have a former jail turn into a shelter? But now, in fact, it is a shelter. The organization that opened it, they start, it's opening up later this month is the Bybee Lakes Hope Center. They have done their ribbon cutting. It's going to start with 84 beds. They're hoping to expand it to 225 beds. They secured $5 million in private funding, so the annual operating budget will be $1.2 million. Uh, TriMet has agreed to send a special bus to the shelter. That's an important thing because the shelter is 12 miles away from downtown. It's not close in. And that really was the, the, the argument beyond optics. And I think the optics mattered more than I think anybody would like to admit. I think the optics mattered a lot. But the argument beyond the optics was you locate jails far away from population centers, near enough so that you know prison guards can live near there, near enough so that you have connection to power lines, etc., but not right next to, you know, you don't put them right next to population centers. If for no other reason to avoid the NIMBY phenomenon. But, well, except the reason I would say that it's not just a NIMBY phenomenon is because you have, same, you have a similar NIMBY phenomenon with homeless shelters, but you want to put services near where people are, near transportation lines, near medical facilities, etc. So that has, been the, uh, that has been sort of the strategic argument. So we'll see how it works out. But there, it might be nice, actually, not to be in such a hullabaloo when, and actually be able to deal with mental health uh, concerns that people face. All right, Pop, you're up. Okay, international. There, there is a, a honest-to-goodness shooting war going on between Armenia and Azerbaijan and that threatens to, to get bigger because Russia is supporting one side, Turkey, Erdogan is supporting the other side, Russia, Armenia, uh, Turkey, Azerbaijan. Armenia has has asked for help from the United States, and they thought that the the prime minister thought he was going to have a call with DDT, but uh, it was short stopped apparently because of the virus. But that that is something serious to watch. The New Caledonia voted on whether or not to become independent or to stay French, and they decided by a vote of about 53 percent to stay French. Paraguay. Paraguay is having serious wildfires. We talk about wildfires here. They they had a temperature of 114 degrees. Brazil, Amazon rainforest in Brazil threatening to become savanna and the implications of that for the entire world huge. The COVID resurgence on the continent and then especially in the UK 
And interestingly, UK told everybody to get their flu shots, so everybody went out to get their flu shots. They now have a shortage of flu shots. Interesting. Not important, but kind of uh, fun. The small town of Deveshelu in Romania voted 64% to re-elect their mayor, who died two weeks before the election. And it wasn't because they didn't know. They all knew, but they loved him so much, they voted for him to say what a wonderful mayor he had been. And then the last one, it just underscores how history is not over. A An unexploded bomb was found on a beach, a British beach, because of a very low tide that was still explodable and, in fact, had to be exploded. Just goes to show that... Uh, World War II is not entirely over. Well, I want to say thank you to some friends of the show. Mike Marshall, uh, former campaign manager for uh, uh, for John Kitsab, Rukiah Adams, who's friend of the show and friend of X-Ray, Kendall Clausen. Uh, oh, so happy birthday to you so many. Rhonda Banks, who was a critical participant in the early days of Onward Oregon, an online uh, progressive activist site. Hank Failing. Uh, who's from the Failing family, you've seen the street. And Janae Etheridge, a beloved member of the X-Ray community who was on the X-Ray staff now working with X-Ray partner Marmoset uh, and also has a show here that people love on X-Ray. want to say thanks to all those folks, also the musician Hutch Harris, uh, and Toya Fick, Toya Fick, who served as executive director for Stand for Children. Uh, want to say thanks to all those wonderful people. Appreciate you. If you have a birthday that you want to say thank you, if that you want to shout out, you can text us 971-220-5979, 971-220-5979. You could also, also make this offer. You could also email. We're doing this daily local news podcast, and that'd be a place we could say happy birthday as well. And just text, or excuse me, email the local at xray.fm. We got a text from Tom of Selwood, I like I like it when it's of a neighborhood, right? Like Jefferson of Irvington. If you are a Trump supporter and you do not wear a mask, are you the one that infected the president with the virus? Yes, food for thought. Well, Dad, is it time for your straw in the wind? It, just about but before we get, get completely away from election news, I want to mention that Don Holiday, Dan Holiday, the mayor of Lake Oswego, is facing a recall election, and if he doesn't, I guess he didn't resign as as of yesterday, so there's going to be a recall election for the Lagos Wigo mayor. All right, Pop. Well, we did it one more time. We did, and I have straws. I have two straws in the wind. In the wind. First straw of really great significance. Australia, which is one of the biggest coal producers, particularly coal exporters in the world, nonetheless, about one quarter, 25% of Australian homes are now powered by solar arrays on their roofs. They're, they lead, they and they lead the world in installing them, which is a hopeful straw in the wind. And the Atlanta Falcons, that's a football team, folks, is using drones to disinfect their stadium in the hopes that by doing that they can get more people into their stadiums. That'll be interesting to watch in other NFL places. Love you, Dad. Good talking to you this morning. And we'll be back on Thursday.